Welcome. You're listening to Sanseet. Where you'll find everything to do with spirituality, life lessons, holistic living, and medicine. To become your true self. We all have stories, journeys, experiences, and love. Here's your host, Erin O'Dowd. Hello and welcome. On today's show, we have Kira Hien. She is an inner trauma coach. She helps people with their trauma. During conversation, she's able to direct the conversation, how she feels through her questioning. Hello and welcome to the show, Kira. How are you doing today? Hi, thank you so much for having me, Aaron. I'm doing really, really well. Tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do. As you said, my name is Kira Heenan and I'm living here in Westport in County Mayo. And I do a lot of my coaching online with clients all around the world. I tend to do a number of different things based on the people that come to me and what it is they're looking for. So I work sometimes around trauma and the fallout from trauma. So when people have had sexual abuse in their past or physical abuse, emotional, mental abuse, whether they've gone through something that's been a trauma, so maybe an accident, they've gone through a loss. And I get the honor of working with these people from from where they are moving forward. So I tend to get the people that I work with to give themselves a couple of minutes to talk to me about their story. But I don't particularly love letting people talk about their story for too long because we can tend to get bogged down in it. And so when you're trying to move people forward, but they're still continuously going back to that story, it's almost like a tie to the past. And that tie to the past is keeping them stuck where they are. So once they've gone through that story and gone through what's happened with them, I get the opportunity to ask questions which I feel into based on what the person is telling me. And I have a gift of being able to understand people sometimes quicker than they can understand themselves. And it comes from my own past and my own life and lots of stuff that's gone on for me, being able to identify what people are going through and then ask them the questions that maybe they haven't been brave enough or maybe they haven't understood what they needed to ask themselves. So it's very, very interesting. I do a lot of coaching on confidence. I do a lot of coaching, getting people ready for TV interviews or for interviews in general or for speaking and a lot of life planning. So people come to me maybe who have had a trauma and their lives are in a specific area. They might be stuck, they might be uncertain, they might be feeling very negative, they might be unsure of what the next step are. And I get the opportunity to help them to create a plan for themselves that's really really specific and unique to them so it has nothing to do with anybody else i'll create a power affirmation series which gives them something unique to repeat and do daily we'll talk about planning in you know a one-year plan five-year plan ten-year plan to really create a vision for that person who's right in front of me for something that's so unique to them and to create the life that they really love regardless of anything that's happened beforehand. Was this gift innate or did you develop this over your lifespan? Most of it would be innate, but as with everything, you know, uh, I don't know who it was that said, I think it was probably Conor McGregor, that said, talent, what is it? What is it? Practice beats talent when talent won't work or something along those lines. He said it better. And 
So during that, I was sitting thinking, that's 100% true. For me, I have a gift, but if I didn't practice it and if I didn't learn more about it, it would be pretty useless. So everything that I implement in my own life and when I learn from people who know more than me, when I have my coaches, um, of which I've had many, and when I sit with them and I I allow them into my life so that they can better understand how and who I am and then they can give me the little tweaks that I need and then I can go away and I can give other people the little tweaks that they need using the gift but also the upgrades of that gift so to speak on top of which I would be very spiritual and very 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 connected to the universe and and you know everything that's out there in inverted commas and so I get my own downloads and I get my own upgrades for everything that I'm doing and then I get to utilize them as well so it's a pretty cool process as someone who who's coaching in trauma do you experience any kind of trauma in some way I did. Yeah, I went through quite a lot of trauma as a kid. Um, it's a funny story to me now because it's hindsight, but it won't sound funny when I say it. So I went to a reflexologist when I was 20 and the reflexologist was working away on my feet and she stopped 10 minutes in and she said to me, have you ever had any sexual abuse in your childhood? And I didn't know this woman from Adam. So this was a, as it was, that question was bizarre. But I said, yeah, yeah, I did. I said, when I was nine for a few years. And she said, no, no, before that. And she said between the ages of two and three, she was very intuitive. She was a lovely, lovely lady, but possibly maybe not the right thing to say to me at that time. So it was a big eye opener. And I actually went ahead and, and looked to see who would have been around our home at the time. And something very powerful came up, which led me to believe that that may indeed have been the case. But I don't know anything about it. I blocked it all out. And I had sexual abuse in my childhood from I was nine until for about four or five years. And then I had a sexual assault in my teens when I was 14. And I had some pretty traumatic, violent relationships. I had quite a lot of emotional and maybe mental abuse throughout my full childhood. So a lot of things have happened that would have brought me to this place. And I've always been the type of person that wanted to help whenever I saw the need for it. So through all of my teenage years and through all of my school years and my college years, anybody who had a problem would have known, you know, go to Kira because she gets it, she'll understand and she'll help in whatever way. And do you think that kind of developed into who you are at the moment through that, through those experiences? Yeah, absolutely. And it's a funny one because I think of things quite differently to most people. So I've had the benefit of seeing my life from a different angle. And because I see it from a different angle, I've never seen myself in that victim mentality. And it's been very, very powerful to not see it from that point of view because I've been able to make decisions and the choices I have from a place of, maybe I'll say, empowerment. I don't like the word empowerment. So I, I prefer to use powerment, as in everything that was meant to happen for me has given me the power to become the person that I am today. So oftentimes I'll sit and I look, and it took a long time to do this work. I've been through counseling, I've been to therapists, I've done all kinds of different work on myself over years and years and a lot of study and came to the realization that some things happen, uh, Tony Robbins would say, life happens to you not or for you, not to you. And I would say most of the things in life would happen for you. But there are some things we don't have control over. So obviously sexual abuse is one of those things. So that having happened, I have to say now that I'm grateful for every single thing in my life. And of course, it's going to come across as sounding very strange because 
it's not that I'm grateful for the thing that happened. It was it was a horrible, horrific experience, but grateful for what it's given me throughout my entire life. It's been a very, very powerful thing to learn from and to grow from and to make choices from. So lots of the time I'll have clients who who will think that they are they're not able to do what they need to do because of what's happened. And I'm working with them to try and get them to see that they can do whatever they want to do regardless of what happens. So it's that difference between because and regardless. Yeah, and probably uh, you probably had a choice to say, should I wallow in this story or should I get help and become this amazing, positive person that we all know and experience on a daily basis with you, you know? Absolutely. You know, everybody has choice. We have choice every single second of every single minute of every single hour of every single day. And I think when people realize that, when they actually really genuinely think about the power of that choice and how regardless, and I use that word a lot because I love it, regardless of what happens, we have the choice to be A or B. So because of what happened in my life, I could have chosen to be an absolute nightmare of a person. And then I could have used my story all along through my life to hold me back. So I could have said, well, because I had sexual abuse in my life, this is why I hurt other people. The saying hurt people hurt people. I disagree because you don't have to hurt people just because you've been hurt. But you do need to be aware and awake to understand that you don't have to hurt people just because you've been hurt. I could have chosen to be mean. I could have chosen to be angry. I could have chosen to be any of those things. But why would I? Because life is an absolute amazing gift. And so I choose to embrace every single piece of it, the good, the bad and the ugly so that I can help as many people as possible and so that I can grow as much as possible for myself every single day. It must have been a, a hard conversation or decision to make uh, to, to say, look, this is part of my story, but I can continue to grow. I first made a bow to myself. So I had a, quite a hard relationship with my parents. It was, it was tumultuous, to say the least. But when I turned 16, I actually sat on a rock up at the back of my parents' house and I made a vow to myself. And that vow that I made was that I would never treat anybody else the way I had been treated. And when I had kids, I would never hurt them the way I had been hurt. And I would never do the things that had happened in my home life and outside. And I would always protect them and mind them. And it was very powerful. It was out in nature. It was just me and the breeze and the grass and the rocks and whatever big phenomenon, whatever, you know, supernatural power was out there. And it was a very deep vow. And I've carried that through every single day. So it wasn't actually difficult. It was very simple. It was a choice between do I do it now or do I not do it? So there was no, is it going to be hard or is it going to be easy? It was just, do I do it or do I not do it? And the only answer was to do it, to make that decision, to be the best version of myself and to not allow anything that had happened to affect who I was going to be in a negative way. Well, once you make that decision, the, 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 the long and the hard road begins to, to become your best self that you can be. Yeah. I wonder sometimes about that. I, again, sometimes I think quite differently than other people. A lot of times it was tough, but the toughness came from having to sit with myself in a counseling session and 
and meet myself and talk about what had happened candidly or to understood why I laughed through everything rather than allowed silence to happen. The toughness happened through understanding that what had happened in my childhood actually had a far-reaching effect that I was unaware of. So sexual abuse can have a massive effect on your DNA, on your internal person, and in ways that you wouldn't ever think of or imagine when you're actually, you know, 17, 18, 20, 25, 28, whatever. And it's not until you go through different situations that you realize what that far-reaching effect is, and then you have to sort it out then. So. It wasn't so much that the road was long and hard, it's more like the road was windy and very interesting to learn what was about to happen next and to try and be in the present as much as possible so that the next thing that came up, I was ready to handle and ready to deal with. And so much of the time I wasn't. I didn't know what was coming. I didn't know how it was going to come. I just had to be present to it and then do it as it came up. Does that make sense? It does. And how does it feel to be in that space uh, to say okay this is going to come up and I'm going to go with this? It can be a mixture between exciting and nerve-wracking because you don't know what you don't know I mean that's one of the best sayings I've ever heard and I only heard it last year and now it's like part of my vocabulary because when you don't know what you don't know you actually have to keep walking forward well you have a choice you can turn around and you can go back the way you came or you can grab life by the balls and keep on going regardless of what you think might happen so being in that space where i have no idea what's about to happen next has had such incredible opportunity come from it you know i've been in in spaces and in places where i've had to take the next leap for myself or the next learning part of my journey and it's been really scary but it's been so awesome to do it because of what came on the other side of it. Yeah, the the long the long road self-traveled is the the glory of what's down the road, which is I think the cool part of how we should look. Um, mm-hmm. So while you're getting all like you're developing yourself to be the, your best version, did you go to college or did you go and study? What like tell us about how you got to what you do. Huh. I've done loads of things, loads of things and lots of things that didn't actually connect to anything either. For quite a while, I was a bit of a nomad. You know, I traveled around. I love travel. I think travel is vital to the soul. And you can learn more during your traveling days than you ever learn anywhere else because you're learning about new cultures, new people, new ways of life, new systems. And you're meeting yourself as well. So your nerves, your fear, your your what ifs, your trepidations, whatever, you're meeting yourself at every single point of your journey. I never went traveling to run away from anything because I understand fundamentally that if you have a problem, it's not about running away from it because the problem is yours. You're going to be taking it wherever you go, but it's about finding the solution for it in a different energetic space. So for me, any issues I was having, you know, being in the sun, being in Greece, living in Spain, Portugal, wherever I went to, I always took my diary, I'd sit down, I'd journal about the issue I was having. So it didn't matter that I was going to a different country, it just mattered that I was changing the energy and the space of it. So I traveled a lot, I went to college, I did my sports course, uh, I applied for the guards, got the guards, but my sports course came up so I took that instead. I went and I did childcare, I did computers, I did life coaching, I did NLP, I'm in the middle of studying another NLP course, I've done Hope Bonapono, it's a Hawaiian healing practice, I've done 
so many different things and been so many different places. And sometimes I sit and I wonder, what's the cohesion? But it actually doesn't matter because every single thing I've done has brought me to here and here is the perfect place for me to be. So every single time I've studied something or traveled somewhere or done something new, it's all led me to this place of I've made the right decision and the right decision has led me to the right place at the right time with the right people in it. Why did you want to become a guard? We've guards in, in my family, so uncles and cousins and all that jazz. And my granddad was a guard. And I'm very driven and I'm very focused and I do like asking questions. So in my mind, it was a very simple choice. I'm just going to be a guard so that I can, you know, lead because I'd be just a natural leader. And I did the aptitude test and I flew through it. I got very, very high marks in that and I was all ready. And I went into the guard station, the local guard station in town, and the superintendent at the time was a friend of the family. And I had my mock interview with him before I went for my interview proper. And he asked a question. I'm very honest and I'd be very direct. And I don't believe in minding my P's and Q's, possibly in situations where you're supposed to. And he asked me a question and he said, do I think that the guards abuse their power, right? And I said, yes. And he was completely taken aback, totally and absolutely taken aback. And I could see that I'd gotten his back up a little bit, but he kept going with the interview. And he said, why do you think that? And I gave him my reason and my reason was very powerful. And I explained to him the reason and he was baffled, but he was also really, really helpful with the reason that I had had. And what came of it was something amazing. And he asked me a second question about things being black and white or gray areas. And all of my answers, he said, were very, very, very positive towards being a guard. <laughs> so, so at that stage, I was like, geez, I have this in the bag. Sure, this will be no problem at all. And I got it. And then the sports course came up and I thought, ah, right, I'll do what I normally do. And I'll head off and I'll do the sports course and forget the guards. I went for it a couple of years later as well, but I got an email to say I was too old. I also went for the army and I got an email to actually say I was too old. I was 35. I was too old by two months. And the first line of the email was, Dear Kira, thank you for your application form. You are too old. <laughs> I was like, oh man, that hurts. <laughs> and what caught your curiosity to apply for the military? like? Back to the lead thing, you know, in my mind, I was thinking I'm going to become a personal training instructor for the for the army and I'm going to be able to roar at people because I, I did my sports course, became a personal trainer and a fitness instructor and a, uh, did my nutrition. And so in my mind, I thought, this is brilliant. I get to roar at people and tell them what to do and tell them to do their push-ups and scream at them to jump over 12 foot high walls. This I was born for this. So that's kind of where that went. And then, of course, I wanted to be part of the Special Forces, you know, because why not? <laughs> <laughs> In your younger years, were you sporty or is it just caught your curiosity of going to sports? Yeah, absolutely. I was either on a track or in karate. It was either one of those. I started karate when I was nine and I still do it. And it's amazing. It's a big passion of mine. The track, not so much. I had a bit of a love-hate relationship, but I kept going anyway. But I ended up doing karate six days a week because it was the thing that I loved to do the most. And when I took a break from that and I took an 18 year break from karate and I, I was in the gym all the time. So for that 18 years, I was training, I was bodybuilding, I was weightlifting, I was powerlifting, I was, you name it, I was doing a teaching classes. 
So there's always been a really sporty element there. I love to train because it's brilliant for the mind. It gives mental clarity. Anything you're going through, you can go in and you can leave it all on a karate hall floor or the gym floor. You can sweat buckets and then you can walk away from it feeling almost like you've had a brain dump. You know, you've gotten yourself to a point of calmness so that now you can make decisions and now you can you can make a plan and formulate what it is that you want to do if you're stressed. I think the gym or or sport is a brilliant hobby to have to clear the mind. And I swim as well now, so I go out to the sea and go for a swim. What caught your curiosity to do karate? Well, my sexual abuse started when I was nine. So I didn't know then that maybe it was intuitive. Maybe it was maybe it was something that I knew I should do for that reason but none of that went through my mind at the time so I started karate when I was nine and that's why it came up or, or maybe it is why it came up I'm, I'm not sure but I, I started when I was nine and it was because it was something I was interested in and I went back and forth between two different styles for years until I settled on the style that I'm still doing now and it's actually stood to me four times in my life I've had four assaults in my life while I lived in Dublin and um, managed to defend myself from all four and if I hadn't had karate, then that wouldn't have happened and they would have been four very different outcomes. That must have been scary. <laughs> Again, I see things a little differently. Not so much scary as very, very powerful because in the moment I didn't think. There was no thought, there was no wondering, there was no imagination, there was just action, which clearly spoke to the fact that my reflexes were fast enough from consistent repetition of, of movements through karate. So there was actually no fear in the moment because it was happening. So you can't feel fear in a moment of something actually physically being happening. It's just happening. And so the fear normally comes before something happens, but there was no warning. It just was there and I had to take care of it. So it was it was just powerful. Definitely ninja ninja reflexes, but that's a karate develops. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I like being a ninja. I'll take that one. Thanks. <laughs> so are you like Mrs. Murazaki, uh, the karate kid where you're washing in, washing off? Or... <laughs> Actually, our sensei was in the dojo the last night. He was last Monday night was our first class back. Was it our second? I can't remember. Anyway, he was showing a technique, and he was doing wax on, wax off, and I was looking, going wax on, wax off, wax on, wax off in my head. <laughs> I'm a complete geek when it comes to all things karate related, and the Karate Kid was my jam. I mean, all the movies were just brilliant. Daniel Son was my idol, and Mr. Miyagi was. You know, I wanted him as my sensei. Yeah, no, and that's what we think karate is, is the karate kid, but it's not that, you know. <laughs> Some of it is that. It's funny, actually, because one of our kata that we do, it's a kata is a form um, of, of multiple different movements put together. And one of our kata looks quite like the kata that they do on the cliff in the second karate kid, I think it is. It's a beautiful kata. And, and so the first time I watched it, you know, after I started karate, I'm like, oh my God, am I going to get to do this kata? And now I see the movements, the same type of movements from that kata. And I'm like, yes, I'm in the karate kit. I have arrived. I'm famous. We're here. Nobody knows anything about it, but I, I do. I do in my head. First of all, what karate do you practice? Is it taekwondo, Isteima, Krav Magra? It's Kyokushin Kai. So it's one of the hardest styles of karate. It's full contact knockdown. It's a very strong discipline. You know, we often joke when we're in the dojo and dojo means karate hall, training hall. So when we're in the dojo and we're hitting each other, you know, and we've all got smiles on our faces and we're all asking to be hit harder, right? 
this doesn't happen. So we're all looking at each other going, you're a little bit crazy, aren't you? Yeah, so are you. But it feels good to be in a room full of people who who are there for the same right reasons. So we're not hitting each other for no reason. We're hitting each other because we know the benefit of understanding what it feels like to be hit. So that the whole idea of martial arts is that you're able to defend yourself. It's not to be cool. It's not to look cool in your white pajamas. It's not to get a black belt. It's not to to run around telling everybody do, you do karate. It's not to be able to break boards or to fight in a competition and knock everyone out. It's about being able to walk outside every day and have a very quiet confidence that you know that you can defend yourself no matter what happens. And when you realize that and you're in your karate dojo, and people are hitting you and you're hitting people back. You understand that the reason that you're doing what you're doing is so that you can heighten your awareness and increase your reflexes, get strong and conditioned so that when something happens, you're ready. Yeah, and, and that is the true heart of, of, of martial arts. But people think, no, it's the black belt, run around in your pages, like you just said, you know. <laughs> yeah, and it's so far from the truth. Now, saying that, don't get me wrong, there are plenty of people who want to join karate to get a black belt. That's cool. That's okay. Do that. There are plenty of people who want to join karate because they think they're going to get fit super duper. Plenty of people who think they're going to want to join karate because they want to tell all their friends they do karate. That's fine. All of those things are fine. There's no judgment in it. When you understand the essence of what karate is about and you go past all of those things, those, you know, minutiae, then you realize I can defend myself. I can defend my family. I can go anywhere in the world and I can feel confident. I, I went to Portugal by myself. I went camping in Portugal for four weeks alone. And at the time I was wearing tiny little rara skirts and a bikini. And I mean, where I was in Portugal, all the guys were out in their cars and they're, you know, not wearing any tops and they're wolf whistling and they're cat calling and they're like, oh, hey, and they're calling your name and they're roaring at you. And I never felt scared. I never felt worried. I never felt bothered because I walked around thinking, I've got this. Not cocky, but very confident that I was okay. And I think that's a vibe then that you give off so people don't come anywhere near you. That's that's interesting. It's not cocky, but yet it's like a humble vibe that people can sense that, you know, don't mess with her, you know? Yeah, even maybe even not just don't mess with her, but there's no need to mess with her. You know, she's she's not giving off a vibe of, hey, come over here and check me out or I'm going to punch your head in. She's just her over there. So there's nothing really to go near her for. Now, of course, that didn't entirely manifest itself the four times I had to look after myself when living in Dublin. But that was a whole other cup of tea. <laughs> and have you got to the stage where you're a black belt yet? Oh, the elusive black belt. Not quite yet. This is my year. So I have been... The last five years have been consistent injuries for me. I tore my rotator cuff. I tore my hamstring clean in two. I tore my left ankle completely. I have injured wrists, ankles, head, shoulders, knees and toes. You could sing a song about me at this stage. And so now, this year, I am injury free. I am ready. I have little niggle in my wrist at the minute, which I'm working through, and I'm ready to really push for this year being the year. Not because it's I'm going to get my black belt, but because of what I can do when I have my black belt. It means I can teach more. It means I can offer myself up more often for things like extra classes or stuff like that, because you can't be alone in a dojo yourself if you don't have a black belt. You have to have a black belt with you. So it can be quite frustrating for anything new 
to be done in the dojo if nobody else has the time. And I live across from the halls, so I have the time to go across and do whatever is needed, but I can't. So I really can't wait to just get it out of the way almost, to have it done, to, to focus on it, to train really hard, to do an excellent grading, and then it'd be done. And then it'd just be something else I've achieved because it's not that that's the big deal. It's what I can do right after it. Are all your injuries uh, karate related? All my injuries are myself related. I was extremely clumsy. I say was because I'm always very careful around my language when it comes to, to what I want to manifest into existence. And I, I wasn't that way before when it came to my injuries and when it came to falling over. I, I would fall a lot and I would trip a lot <laughs> and I'd bang into things a lot. and. People would often say, Jesus Christ, Kira, we're just going to get you a big load of bubble wrap and wrap it around you because you need it. Because you would be amazed. I, I, in one of the old houses I lived in, it was on a row of houses and <laughs> I stepped out the back door. I stepped off one step, Aaron, one step. There wasn't a whole load of steps. It was a step out the back door and I heard a pop and my calf muscle, I tore my calf muscle clean in two and I landed on the ground and made a noise. And about three weeks later, <laughs> one of my neighbors knocked on the door and she said, Kira, was there a calf given birth in your backyard three weeks ago? <laughs> I said, what? She said, I heard an awful weird noise. It sounded like a calf being born, a cow given birth. And I said, that was me, I fell over. <laughs> Oh God. So yeah, it's been an interesting number of years. Everything happens for a reason though, so I just take it on the chin. <laughs> oh, honest to God, was there a cow being cow or cow before? When you got these injuries, it must be it must take a lot of mental stress to get back to moving because your entire probably lifehood revolves around you being fit. Oh my God, it's been unbelievable. You know, when you get an injury and you're training at a pretty high level, which I would have been, and I would have always gotten to a specific level to that incredibly fit high level and then boom, injury. And obviously there's something else going on in and around that and I would have thought into it and I've done a lot of work around it and I get it and I understand it. And a lot of it would have been emotional and a lot of it would have come from the fear of being successful in karate because it's an awful lot of responsibility to be a black belt and to be in charge of so many people and in charge of nurturing the juniors. Now I would do that already, but it's just a whole other ballgame. It's just another level. It's all a mindset, of course. But when it comes to injury, and I would have, I was at Pendulum Summit during the week and I was listening to Kelly Holmes and she talked about the fact that, you know, she injured herself so often and it would be right before she would be going for a crucial competition, a crucial games, a crucial um, race. And she trained on a stress fracture and I was like, I can totally identify. I have gone back into karate way before any injury has healed and I've trained on whatever injury because I've just been so focused on, you know, I have a plan and there's a purpose. But anybody will tell you that when you train on an injury, the likelihood of you only doing more damage and then being out for longer is super high. And that's what would keep happening. I'd go back in because my mind was so intent on doing what I needed to do, but my body wouldn't have been ready. And so last year, my last injury, I had to go, okay, right. The definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results. And I'm not insane and yet, I've been doing this repeatedly, so I think I need to stop and change what I'm doing. 
and I did and I gave myself the time I needed to heal um, and it took ages it took ages and I just had to do what I could do you know yeah and injuries take like if it's bones or like bones take longer to heal so probably it probably frustrates you for like I'm back I'm back and then boom and like no and then but you need to give it time yeah 100% you know everything I've done has always been like if you break a bone if you broke your femur or your ulnar radius or whatever you're going to break it and if it's a clean break it's a six to eight week fix and then you're back doing what you're doing not at the same level you have to obviously do rehab but when you tear a muscle or ligaments or tendons good luck good luck to things happening the way that you think that they should because there's so much trauma going on in that area that you don't understand and don't know so you just have to keep doing your physio keep doing your rehab do what you can do try and not to change your body position because that's what happens when you injure yourself something has to give you hold yourself in a different position and so when you hold yourself in a different position something else can happen and so you just you don't know what's about to happen so you've just got to be careful and do the exercises that you're given and then when the time is right you start back and if you have a good coach that always helps as well because they'll know when to say right you're ready to do the next level if you don't have a good coach in anything in life you're going to be doing things and winging it yeah and did you have good coaches that, that could help you yeah i really did my sensei is pretty cool he would say you know don't be coming back until you're ready make sure that you're in, and, and i'd come in and i'd i'd hobble in the door and someone would say oh you know yeah you can keep on training it's okay and he'd his wise eye would rove over and he'd go Mm-mm, and he'd put his hand up and he'd you know tell me to sit down or go home and we'd have messages back and forth and he'd say don't be coming in unless you're 100 percent." and he would always be very very adamant when he would say it in class you know if you're injured don't come training not because he didn't want you there but because you shouldn't be there because you've an injury yeah i i think the worst one is ripping your hamstring off the off the bone you know that's i think of everything you could break bones but i think that's the worst and yeah I did it I did the jumping I danced for 14 years and I was out one night with a friend of mine and decided to show off as you do when you're 24 and you think you're whatever and I jumped into the splits cold in a nightclub and as I and I could do the splits I was cartwheeling into splits and all kinds of things but I wasn't even warmed up so landed in the splits and on the way down I heard this and I could hear it over the music in the nightclub and I couldn't get up off the floor I was in full splits on the floor and two bouncers had to come and they had to pick me up off the floor and push my legs back together and bless their cotton socks their level of first aid was poor because they put me on a hot radiator so the hamstring that had just blown had the opportunity to increase in size so that my right leg was twice the size of my left leg by the time I was getting a taxi to go home and I should have gone to the hospital but I didn't I went home got into bed went to sleep got up in the morning huge black and blue from just under my butt cheek down to the back of my knee so I hobbled along to the hospital to James's hospital but anybody who knows James's hospital knows that it's one of the busiest hospitals in Dublin and it's like revolving doors so I was in the waiting area for 11 hours and I had I'd been there for 11 hours and these emergencies kept coming in the back door. So an emergency obviously is going to trump anyone who's in the waiting room. And I hobbled up to the lady and I said, what's the chances of me getting seen? And she said, really, really slim because we're having emergencies coming in constantly and there's another one coming. And I said, all right, crap. I said, can I have a pair of crutches? I'm going to go and I'll come back at some stage. And she said, yeah. So she handed me the crutches. 
and I hobbled out and I got a few buses home and whatever and I couldn't put any weight on it I couldn't walk on it but I decided I'd go to work the next day and I had two buses to get to go to work I was running a curves fitness ladies fitness gym in Ranala at the time so I had to get two buses there and two buses home and crutching and all that jazz and everyone kept saying to me have you had physio I'm like nah it'd be grand it'd be fine eight weeks later I went to the physio I still didn't haven't gone back to the hospital and when I went into the physio her name was Afric and she was in Portobello and little tiny woman I mean she was tiny she was about four foot five and she was teeny tiny and she looked to me she said what's wrong and I said well I think I pulled my hamstring I said pulled I said because and I gave her all the details and she went get up there onto the bed so she had to help me up onto the bed I was still on my crutches eight weeks later and she put her hand onto my hamstring and her fingers went into the middle of my hamstring and she effed me she absolutely annihilated me. She cursed and effed and blinded. She was like, for fuck's sake, you should have gone to the hospital. She said, you've completely torn it. You should have had that operated on and stitched back together within 24 hours. She said, this is going to take you minimum three years to fix. And she said, this is going to hurt. Jesus, Mary and Joseph. She was up on the table, lying or sitting on top of me with her elbow in the middle of my hamstring. I swear to God, if I could have, I would have knocked her into the middle of next week. It went on for weeks and weeks and weeks and the pain was excruciating. But she did her job so well and she got me to a level of mobility and flexibility, which was average, you know, after that it was going to take time to heal. And it actually did. It was three years to the day when I was able to do the splits again. You said you used to dance for 14 years. What did you do? What did you dance in? I danced in burlesque in the Can Can, a professional Can Can troupe. I taught hip hop and salsa and cha cha and jive and danced them all. I started off dancing in nightclubs a long, 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 long time ago. I went and I danced in Ibiza and yeah, any kind of dancing you can imagine after that. I, I loved to teach actually. I loved teaching Latin American. It was it was really cool to teach big, big groups of people to um to move in that way so yeah it was brilliant it was a great long period of time why latin dance there was a guy who was teaching at the time up in dublin and we went for a rehearsal and he was there at the rehearsal that i was at and he liked you know what i was doing so he asked would i would i come and could he train me so it was myself and two other girls that he picked and he trained us he was a european champion so he came and he trained us in his style and the way he dances and asked us would we set up a, a dance school with him and become his teachers so that's kind of where that came from it was beautiful i'd never done it before you know i'd, I'd danced hip-hop and i'd danced burlesque but i'd never done that before and i loved it as soon as i tried it it's like an art when you compare it to hip-hop and other dances yeah you see each one of them have their own vibe and their own thing going on you can go to there's so many different types of hip-hop dances so many styles of dance even within that genre and then even within the latin american style dancing people dance different ways for different styles so it was just lovely to have my my eyes opened to a new style and try something completely new and and see how it fitted me and suited me so it was brilliant it was a really great experience actually what did it teach you well it taught me a lot about being business savvy because i ended up teaching all over the country so i taught in most of the towns in ireland over the course of a couple of years with one specific dance school and then i went on to another one it taught me a lot about business it taught me a lot about teaching very big groups of people i would have taught as a kid, as a teenager, when I was 15, I would have been teaching in karate. 
And so we had big groups then, but I haven't taught a big group for a very long time. And then here's me teaching adults. So I would have only taught the smaller kids as a teenager. So I'm teaching 60 or 70 adults in a room, in ballrooms. And it was a brilliant, brilliant experience to understand how to lead a crowd in the way that they need to be led. Because when you're teaching adults, they don't want to be given out to, and they sure as hell don't want to be given lectures. So it's learning how to teach them in the way that you know they're going to learn best. And it was just lovely to create rapport around that. So definitely teaching, understanding people, and a little bit of business savvy, that's what it taught me. You, you sometimes don't think that something like dancing will teach you that, but actually it teaches you something invisible that you don't realize. Absolutely, not to mention the fact that obviously I was learning the dance, but so many other things popped up in and around that and everything we do you know if you're not learning every day then you're probably not in the right circumstances and situations there's so much to learn in the world and every single time an opportunity comes up there's an opportunity to learn something in it and i often say you know you can go to a the same speaker and i have time and time again and listen to their same story time and time again and come away with something different time and time again because it's what you need to hear and what you need to learn at the time so yeah it was, it was very valuable lessons i wonder why that happens if we we attend that we watch something or listen to something the a thousand times and we still learn something new I'd always kind of known that that was a thing, but the first time I was really aware of it was with a speaker called Jerry Duffy. I love Jerry. I think he's absolutely outstanding. The way he does things, his humility, his ability to speak, the way he transcribes in front of people. He's just a beautiful human being and he's an excellent speaker. And he does his piece on goals. And every time, and I've gone to see him three times now, right? Three times listening to his same piece and I say that with every ounce of respect that I have in myself because every single time I have come away and gone oh my god I didn't get that the last time and I've gone back over my notes and I've written things down and that piece will be written down but I won't have heard it and I think it's because we take what we need in the moment so today I could need to hear 10% of what he said and in three weeks time I could need to hear another 2% and he's already said it the last time but I don't need to hear it then there's something else I need to take from it so we're always taking in the things that we need to hear and that's totally okay because it's what we need to hear so you know each time a person goes to a seminar and they feel like they haven't gotten everything that they thought they needed they've probably gotten exactly what they've needed. And as, and as humans, we feel like we need to get everything, but sometimes we just get exactly what we want for that moment to propel us to the next moment. 100%, yeah, 100%. And and someone that's constantly helping people to advance in their, their abilities and confidence and whatever, is that something that crops up every time you, you chat to people? Actually, yeah, even in normal conversations, like even in day-to-day conversations, I'll be having the chats with people It's something I I do have to be aware of and I'm getting much better at because I have to differentiate between a friendship and when I'm about to coach somebody. And sometimes it can be really easy to flow into a coaching area because the person in front of me gives themselves a little bit to me. So they allow that to happen. They they kind of go into the, the mode of, can you help me, but without even asking. And I'm happy to kind of 
flow into the mode of of course I can help you and then so the questioning starts and and then suddenly people are seeing things that they haven't seen before and that can be fine you know with really close friends they can be okay with it but in a day-to-day conversation or with people who aren't really close friends I have to be very aware of not slipping into the coaching role because people might not necessarily want it but then those who do will very quickly show you and tell you that they do and it's a very interesting role to be in like I love I love with all my soul helping somebody and then seeing the smile on someone's face when they get it when something comes up for them that they haven't thought of before and I'm even smiling now thinking of it because it makes me so excited when they go and it's it's an aha moment that happens in front of me and I go yes oh my god that's so exciting and then they go off and they do something and it's like brilliant you know it's it's a it's a lovely moment to have so so sometimes it's really good and then sometimes I just have to be aware and kind of sit back and go it's okay this person if this person needs me they'll make it known it's, it's fascinating how, how our brains are able to switch between two hats but yes when we're in the moments like do, do this person need this does this person need that etc all these little crops of, of neurons are bouncing in from head to head trying to decide which is the best option for that moment which is fascinating mm, completely and it happens in split seconds milliseconds you don't even notice it happening the amount that the brain can process is phenomenal and I mean we're touching the surface one of the statistics that I learned a couple of years ago and I'm in the middle of inventing something anyway I'll tell you more about that at some stage but one of the statistics I learned is that 96% of people who go to an event or a seminar don't do anything with it they, they leave and they they forget or they don't implement they don't action things so only four percent of people who go to these events will actually go in and implement and action things and it's because they their brains work on implementation and action and, and information and doing something being doers and i find that so interesting that there's such a big group of people that don't and it's not because of any bad reason it's because they're just unsure of what to do next and that's the thing that overrides what to do next Whereas in the 4%, the thing that overrides everything is to do next. So it's really interesting to see the brain and how it's working and how people do the things that they do and that they're not even aware of that just happen in those split seconds or those little milliseconds. They may not be aware of it, but their body is, which is fascinating, you know, and and probably you see this in sport and karate where, you know, the person could be in the most amount of stress and they're able, their, their brain just dum 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 dum. I usually describe it as like a, a child in the supermarket. The child wants to buy a bar of chocolate. Mother says, "No, you can't buy a bar of chocolate." And the, the, the you know, the mother, the, the mother saying, "No, no," and the child decides to cry all over the supermarket. And that's, I think, how the brain, the body reacts. You know. Absolutely, and in karate, more than I've ever seen it anywhere in in any top level sport. You have people who go into something like a grading. So in our style of karate, the gradings are really tough. And when you walk in the door of that grading and you're halfway through it and it's the six hours and you're, you know, a six hour exam that's full physically intensive, it's, it's high level athlete standard. So at some point in that day, something's going to click and you're going to go, I just can't do this anymore. I just, like, I can't, I'm just not mentally here and I'm not physically here. And, I just can't do it. And while you're saying, I just can't do it, your body is doing it. You're listening to your sensei shout at you what you're supposed to do and you're doing the next thing and you're keeping on going and suddenly you're at the end of the day. And it's because of that mind-body connection and it's powerful and it's muscle memory, it's repetition. Repetition is the mother of all success. 
if you don't consistently repeat the thing that you want to have happen then you you can't be successful to do it because you haven't done it enough you know and it, and it's never been apparent or as much apparent as it is in karate why do you think consistency and repetition create progress they compound what you're doing so when you do something once you give your brain the opportunity to see that you're successful at it once if you never do it again then your brain doesn't have the opportunity to reward you by showing you what can happen if you do it repeatedly but when you do something over and over again you compound that success so you do it once i'm successful you do it twice it's a pattern you do it three times four times five times 200 times it's a habit and then suddenly it becomes part of life so that's where your success comes in you've got to keep doing things repeatedly in order to get that compound of success so that it can be integrated into your life like normal like brushing your teeth like walking like breathing these are all things that we've done repeatedly over time to become really good at and if we didn't do those if when we fell as babies we didn't bother getting back up then we wouldn't be walking if we stopped breathing we die and if we don't brush our teeth all our teeth are going to fall out so consistency and repetition leads to success and leads to really positive outcomes fascinating isn't it isn't it though totally and simple really simple it's not easy nothing is easy but the simple processes around everything are are brilliant you know when you when you can break something down and you can see it as simple so something that i would use with clients would be say for example brushing your teeth we'll just use something really simple like brushing your teeth it's a really simple process right you get up in the morning you brush your teeth before you go to bed you brush your teeth and maybe in the afternoon if you're really good you might brush your teeth right really simple sometimes the idea of it isn't very easy though oh for god's sake i have to go in there and brush my teeth again you know you have to do it it's something that you've done for your whole life but for some strange reason in your mind you've decided that it's not so simple to do in the evening that it's not easy that's a pain in the bum and you just want to get into bed and you don't want to brush your teeth so you're not going to bother it's simple but it's just not easy and when you're looking at processes like simple it is what it is you just have to decide whether you're going to do it or not whether you're going to make it simple or you're going to make it tough on yourself yeah we have the ability to make it complex or simple and i think simplicity is the best way for us to adapt for sure 100 percent. everything is teaching you something to develop into your ultimate self and you've had experiences where that you've been able to apply those teachings from one to another but like do you take teachings from one to the other and say okay this is uh, from that and whatever oh god yeah like i would apply things from my karate life into my life life all the time excuse me and because i started karate when i was nine i've been able to apply the things since i was nine so that's a huge learning in itself being able to to process things without even knowing that I was because at nine years of age I, I didn't know anything about personal development this is I suppose where the debate comes up between nurture and nature I didn't know anything about personal development I didn't know anything about coaching apart from my sensei was my teacher but I knew in some innate way that the lessons that I was learning through karate were lessons that I could apply to my life and I've always known that so you know to have one of our symbols in karate is the wave and it's taken from one of our kata called saiha, which is the wave. And the wave in karate symbolizes that no matter how great a task or problem, with determination and perseverance, we will rise and overcome all obstacles. And it's something that I have been led by and used 
and thought about and implemented into every single area of my life since I was nine. And it's powerful because we also have another saying, fall down seven times, stand up eight. Regardless of how many times you get knocked down, regardless of how many times something happens that's negative, positive, doesn't matter, that when you get knocked down, you get back up again and you keep going. So I have a saying, JFDI, and I use it all the time, just fucking do it. And that just compounds. That's my grown up version of what the wave symbolizes and fall down seven times, stand up eight. It's my, not maybe not my grown up version, you know, it's my, it's my vulgar version of those two things, but it really hits at home. So everything that karate has taught me, I have been able to apply to my life. And that's part and parcel of what karate is, you know, to be, to train for the right reasons, to understand that you can defend yourself outside the dojo, but also that you can quiet yourself internally so that you can do anything you put your mind to and anything that you need to do. It's really powerful. So I've always implemented things from karate into my my day-to-day life. As someone that that had trauma in her life, do you set up a foundation or something for for women or something like that? I did, yeah. Thank you for asking about that, Aaron. So I set up the In Essence Foundation, In Essence Foundation. And because of, you know, the experiences that I went through in my childhood and my teenagehood, I decided that it it would be amazing to be able to do something on a bigger scale. So December 2017, I set up the In Essence Foundation, and it's a foundation to help women and girls who have been through sexual abuse. And there's two legs to that foundation. So the first is to help women who have been through sexual abuse. So when a woman comes to the foundation, there will be funding available if it's needed for, you know, to decide whether it's something that she needs therapy, counseling, whether she might need coaching or whether she might want to move forward in a space in her life and do something that would make her feel good. So it might be a course or something that she does. Now, lots of people will have enough money to do that. There are so many people in the world who deserve help and may not have enough money in the moment. And that's what the foundation is set up to do. It's to help those people who really genuinely don't have enough, but need the help. And the second leg of that is that I'm creating a 33-week program, which I would love to have rolled out through schools in Ireland this year. So at some point in the next few months, I'll be bringing it to the uh, Department of Education to see what they think. All around self-respect and safety, body autonomy. So there'll be an element of self-defense in it. There'll be a lot of stuff about emotional intelligence in it. And eventually I would love to have coaches all around the world who were delivering this course to countries where sex trafficking was the norm. And I use that in inverted commas or child brides were the norm or, you know, young marriages or where young girls get raped or where women are raped because they're not wearing bras. So this is something that I see on a massive scale and I, I want to help in as much as I can and as many places as I can. So I thought that the best way to do that would be to set up this foundation and hopefully liaise with so many people along the way and collaborate with so many people along the way who, who have the same vision and have the same goals as I have. You know, I did a training with a guy called Roger James Hamilton and he's amazing. I'm going to go to his one day course in London on the 13th of February. And he was talking about how how massively powerful things can be when people who have the same end goal come together to work on their projects. So, you know, one of my goals is um, gender equality and there's a lot that goes into gender equality. You know, safety in girls and women being who they are in whatever tribe or culture that they're in and that they're not going to be used out 
outside of what's okay and normal, regardless of culture. And so finding people who are on that same wavelength, who have, have that same vision and who have that as their goal will be massive to me over the course of the next 12 months. So it will be interesting to see where that goes. But yeah, the, the foundation is, is very, very close to my heart. It's interesting how women in, in the role of gender are more vulnerable than, than men. And I think that this should, your foundation should be there to help and give support to women that are vulnerable through either sex, rape or trafficking, you know? A hundred percent. And, you know, people talk about feminism. I think they have a, a wrong idea of it. Well, I think maybe when it comes to feminism, it's not supposed to be about belittling men. It's not supposed to be about putting men down. It's supposed to be about helping and supporting women be strong in their own right and be strong in their femininity. And when you're looking at feminism from that point of view, I think it's so important that we do realize exactly what you said. Women are weaker sex. That doesn't mean they're weaker in their personalities or weaker in their ability to do the things that men do. It's not about that. It's the fact that men have something that women don't. They have the ability to, to I don't even know how to explain this properly, but to take up space in front of a woman in a way that makes a woman feel scared. Now, don't get me wrong, not all men do this. It's not about that. But when we're in a situation where a woman is being intimidated, sexually harassed, sexually abused, physically abused, mentally abused, emotionally abused, it's about helping that woman to feel strong in herself and to feel powerful in herself so that she doesn't have to feel afraid. And I think the more education that happens around that, the more women will be able to take back the power that they feel like they don't have in those situations. And of course, men can be hurt too, and men can have sexual abuse, and men can have all those kinds of things, and I'm not taken away from that. It's just my focus is on women and young girls because of the fact that I'm a woman myself. Yeah, and I think the narrative is more towards women than men. You don't, you do hear stories, but with not as much as you would with women, you know? Mm -hmm, for sure. And hopefully that will change. You know, there's some amazing men doing great work with men in this country and all around the world. And men's circles are becoming a thing now, which I think is really important because I think all men need to be given a platform to have conversations. And I had a conversation with a friend maybe in the middle of last year. He said, you know, I would love to be able to have contact with more men and express how I feel. But he said, I just don't know who those would be. He said, I can go to the pub and have a fight with my friends, but that's not what I'm looking to do. He says, I want that connection that support, that camaraderie or that family feeling where you know that you can be 100% yourself and you can talk about the big topics. And a lot of the time, that's not something that happens. So to, the, to all the men who are doing these amazing circles, men's circles and men's work and bringing men together, I'm delighted that that's actually happening. Kira, if, if you could go back and teach or tell your younger self, what advice would you give? I would say, don't change a thing genuinely don't change a thing because I wouldn't be where I am now if I changed anything. I'd say love yourself regardless. I'd say always know that you'll be there for yourself at every opportunity that when nobody else is you'll be there for yourself and that's enough. And I would say speak out even sooner. I'd say everything that has happened or everything that happens I would say speak on it and be willing to be the vulnerable first step so that everybody else can see that that's the vulnerable first step and they might take that too. Or at the very least that they would see that somebody was doing it and they could if they needed to. Um, but yeah, there wouldn't be anything really that I'd, I'd change because I wouldn't be here otherwise. 
And if, if someone met you on the street and said, Hey, Kira, I'm, uh, and whatever the problem was, what advice would you give them uh, or gem would you give them? That's a funny one because <laughs> I wouldn't be able to do anything that quickly. I mean, I'd like to be able to, I'd say to them, come and have a coffee. That's what we'll do. That's what I do, Aaron. I'd say, come and have a coffee so that I can get a better measure of what it is that you're saying. And I would ask them the questions that I knew they needed to be asked. And then from that, I would help them in any way that I could to formulate a plan in order for them to be able to answer that question for themselves. Because the thing is, every single thing we need and we want is inside ourselves. Sometimes we just need a guide to help us to go from where we are to where we want to be. It doesn't mean that the answer isn't coming from you. It means that somebody has helped you to delve deep enough to get the answer. So I would take them for a coffee and I would get the measure of them and ask them some good questions. Uh, where can people find you if they want to get in touch with you? So you can find me on Facebook on Kira Hinehan Coaching. You can get me on Instagram at Kira Hinehan Coaching and you can get me on LinkedIn at Kira Hinehan. Kira, I want to say thank you for, so much for coming to the show. It's been a blast. You're an absolute legend, Aaron. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate your time and it's been brilliant. Woohoo! Go on! Thank you for spending the time to listen to the show. If you want to learn more, check out sansit.com. That's S-A-N-C-I-T dot com. Join Sansit Group on Facebook and contact us if you have any questions. Until next time, have an awesome day and rock on.